Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small and medium-sized organizations for their HR and payroll so they can focus on growing their business. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. All right, today's episode, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. It's with Jay Schaufeld. He is the head of HR and people operations at HQO. And he gives his thoughts on the looming great resignation. I think you've heard that term coined. It's basically where it is believed that now as people are starting to get back to work from working remote for a year and a half, that now all of a sudden there's going to be all this movement. And so in this episode, we're talking about what's going to keep people there, how to keep people engaged, and how to attract people. So if you're looking for talent, what are your employees needing or what are candidates looking for in a new job that's going to attract them to your workplace? I think you're going to love this. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'd love to hear what you thought about the show. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Jay, it's a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat today. Of course. So I'm excited to chat with you. There's this glooming, great resignation that people have been talking about, and they're saying it's going to happen. For listeners, what is this great resignation that people say might be coming or maybe it's here? Well, to a certain degree, I hope it's entirely overblown. I hope so too. Yeah, look, I think that um, in different cycles, we've been through different things. At a certain point, not all that long ago, we're referring to the war for talent. And here we are post-pandemic or soon to be post-pandemic addressing the same topic. And that is a shortage of talent in different sectors. I think that's affecting it at a different pace and a different clip. Uh, I happen to work for a company that is uh, a technology company that serves a commercial real estate market. And, um, and what we're seeing is companies are taking different approaches to returning back to office. And that affects people in a number of different ways. Uh, For some people, it affects them personally as to whether they're aligned with the company's mission and purpose as far as coming back to office. In other cases, what I think has happened, Brandon, is there's been a degree of exposure, right? I think that for many years, we've been on this investment boom where we've been investing an awful lot in the physical workspace, specifically perks, kombucha on tap and you know, really cool amenities in our spaces and you know pool tables and all those things. And they almost became table stakes. It was almost like you had to have a certain amount of things for people to be attracted to your company. Right. The pandemic in a year, year and a half or so of working from home has exposed all of that. And I think what's happened is people are starting to realize those things are nice. As I said, maybe they're table stakes or maybe they just don't matter at all. I maintain that what really matters to people and what we're really talking about is engagement are four factors. The first being, you know, the work matters. I'm doing meaningful, purposeful work that gives me inspiration I feel good about. The second is I have a manager, a leader, perhaps some coworkers that I enjoy that support me and that I have a personal relationship with. 
The third, of course, is being attached to the company's mission or purpose. Right. And then the last is I'm aligned with the values of the culture of the organization. I think what prompts this discussion today is that working from home, being remote, frankly, being on back-to-back-to-back Zoom calls all day. Yeah, and, and we're all feeling the fatigue of it, aren't we? What's happened is I think a lot of people have started to realize, you know something? I'm not so crazy about the work I'm doing <laughs> or better mm. yet. I'm not so sure I'm feeling really supported by my manager and I'm certainly not, you know, having the fun time in the office with my coworkers or maybe I'm just not so inspired by the purpose of the mission of our business. Yes. And especially when you're at home, it's hard to be connected to that purpose. Cause you're, if you're literally back to back to back, you're like, what am I doing? And entirely. And Brendan, I've not seen many companies that have done a really good job with maintaining culture. You know, for a while, what was the trend? It was Zoom happy hours or a Zoom scavenger hunt. And that's not the right way to, to, to engage your employees or to really have, you know, an effect on culture. And so, yeah, I think all those things have been built up. And I think that many organizations are exposed today. And that's why we've got this impending attrition problem. You mentioned the, the the perks like the kombucha and all that. I, I think it was like a year and a half ago, I interviewed David Heinemeyer Hansen from Basecamp and he and his co-founder, they wrote this book called Something About Crazy at Work. He, he talked about like the benefits that organizations will offer. A lot of the benefits that there's perks, they keeps people in the office, whereas it should be in just support of their overall like well-being. And the kombucha and the foosball tables and the ping pong table, those are all to keep people like in the office. So maybe it's a culture builder, but I feel like those are just totally superficial types of perks that probably won't draw people in long-term and even retain them. What's your feeling on all that stuff? I, I think you're right. I think that what is it, the design of the Googleplex was to keep people there, you know, free meals and free dry cleaning. And I think uh, what barbers or a place you get a haircut on campus. And the design was that you'd really never leave, leave the campus. It was far <laughs> too easy to stay. And uh, as we all hope, hopefully out of such tragedy and, and a pandemic comes good things. And we've seen industries recreate themselves. We've seen companies recreate themselves. Um, and my hope is that the office experience and the employment experience changes for the better. Yeah, and You're right. It is very clearly no longer about how many hours I stay in the office, but it really has evolved to the work I do. And I'm measured on my contribution and my performance, not on the hours I keep in the office. Yeah, I think what the pandemic and even the work from home has probably shed a light on is what's really important to people. And it's it's not the stuff that we just described. It's probably more about well-being and balance and having connection to the purpose of the organization and loving your work, of course. Like there's so many other things that are more important than just these things to keep people temporarily happy in the office. That's right. That's right. Well, now, full disclosure, Brandon, I've got a nice full cup of kombucha here. Well, I, I'll take it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So with this mass exodus that we're talking about, like, what kind of turnover rate are we, are we describing here? Is it you know, 10, 20 percent, 30 percent more? Like, what are we anticipating? Well, at this point, I think at best we can do is speculate, maybe even forecast. I think that most organizations have been, and again, this depends on industry, right? But most organizations would anticipate a voluntary attrition rate of you'd want to maintain 10, 15%. I think for many years, 20 during an aggressive market was considered just on the precipice of being problematic. 
So if this thing does become what many industry pundits expect it will become, I'd expect it to be over 20, 25% voluntary. And, you know, look, this is really costly to business, isn't it? Um, The notion that unfulfilled recs are either real or, you know, opportunity loss cost impactors in that there are customer commitments or product development commitments or even revenue commitments that are left open. Uh, it's a burden and a tax on coworkers and people that are, you know, sort of still at the company. Um, and so it becomes very costly and very problematic to organizations. I'm curious the timing of all this. If people think it's coming, is it is it literally because it's been pent up movement that just hasn't happened because of COVID and now people might be sort of returning to the office and they maybe don't want to or what you know what's the timing of all this why is it why is it coming sooner yeah great question i think it's probably a manifestation of a few things first of all you made a great point uh there was a degree of loyalty gained by employers during the pandemic perhaps people were risk averse to make a change during the pandemic perhaps people were feeling supported by their organization because you know i could be at home with my my kids running around in the background or my dog barking at the UPS driver or whatever it was. And, and my company understood. And I think that was great. We were all dealing with it in whatever ways we had to. But I think that now that that's sort of coming to an end and there is this pent up demand that people haven't moved a lot during the last year and a half is one. The second is the other point you just made, which is, you know, with respect to return to office, it may just be that I, as, a, as an individual or as an employee, am not running at the same pace that my organization is, or I don't agree with, you know, the return plans. And so that in itself has caused me as a candidate to consider putting my head up and looking for other opportunities. But again, I think the more systematic issue is that, you know, we all just got so busy and work life suffered as a result of it. And we're on Zoom calls literally back to back. And then we had our, you know, our responsibilities at home to look after. And I think we just lost, we lost touch. We lost favor and, you know, good managers, good leaders checked in on their employees, found a way to have one-on-ones. I saw some pretty creative stuff happening during the pandemic where, you know, a manager and an employee were going for a hike together with masks on. Oh, cool. But they were together and they were doing stuff. And so, you know, I think a lot of that suffered as we just went from meeting to meeting to meeting. And, and again, where we started was, you know, I think that if people aren't connected to work that they feel inspired by, colleagues and bosses that are supportive and, and have a have relationship with, the mission and the purpose, as we talked about, is missing because it's just work or the culture. And, um, you know, what's so important, as, as we talked about earlier, was being an environment that we are aligned with that, that matches our value set and, you know, what we want to do. And when all that just becomes about work, you realize so many of those things are missing. You know, at my company, Brandon, at, at HQO, we're hiring very aggressively. Um, we are in a growth position. Mm-hmm. We've recently raised a Series C uh, round of funding, and that is uh, being deployed both organically and inorganically for growth. But we've got over 50 recs open at the moment. The really neat thing is we've been able to attract talent that, dare I say, a year and a half ago, we might not have had access to. Wow, really? We're talking people from some world-class organizations that in my case, in our organization's case, they're inspired by doing something different by an organization that has a pretty compelling vision that has a very special and unique culture. And so again, if we can present to them an opportunity that says, you can make a real impact and you can do some really cool work for a cool company that's really building up and doing something special. 
And boy, we've got a very unique set of values that people seem to be, you know, quite interested in. I don't know if we'd have access to employees from some of these world-class organizations like we do today. So we're using our very real, you know, with integrity, our values and our purpose and where we're going as a business to our advantage in the talent war. I want to dive into that in a second, but because it sounds like you're you're doing so many proactive things and they're uh, you're probably more so proactive than a lot of employers you're a chief people officer and i wanted to ask you like if if you reached a level of turnover like we're describing with this great resignation like 25 30% what does that do to your organization not to say that you're going to experience this but others might if they're not as proactive on the talent uh, retention and attraction side I mean, what does it do to the business? Like from a, either a cost standpoint, culture, just <laughs> your sanity as a chief people officer, like what, what would it do? Well, I think a couple things. Let's start with kind of where you landed. And that is, what is the cost? It's really hard to measure, isn't it? But if you consider the time and even the cost it takes to recruit, if you're going to use a recruiter, you could pay 20% of base salary or more. If you consider the time of the team that's working on this open headcount, uh, working on that on that role's behalf, perhaps the, the, the ramp up time, the training time. Brendan, I've seen that statistics along the way that have suggested that an open position or perhaps a wrong hire could cost upwards of 3x base salary. Mm. If you take a software engineer that makes, let's make it easy, $100,000, if you consider the recruiting costs, the time that that project is not being worked on, missed development opportunities, perhaps something that goes wrong in front of a customer that could impact a prospect because you don't have the right uh, subject matter expert or engineer on that call, whatever it might be, somewhat hard to quantify, but it's real, real. And if you multiply that across many open positions, as I said, in my organization, we have 50 open roles at the moment. It really does compound and it becomes you know, a very real barrier to, to your success as a business. And so, yes, what can you control? Well, the first thing is you can control your image and your brand and market, helping your abilities to attract great people. But from a retentive perspective, that you can definitely control. And so what really matters is do people feel heard? Do they feel like they're supported? And do they feel good about what they're doing and where they work? And so, you know, one of the things that we've seen is during the pandemic, it was so important to listen to your employees. We've done employee sentiment surveys. We've done one-on-ones. We've shifted our what was semi-annual performance appraisals to 90-day check-ins and 90-day reviews. Um, We've adjusted our plans. We've returned to office some might argue relatively aggressively for a tech company like ours, but we we pivoted after hearing from our employees that it was just a little too aggressive uh, or what really mattered to them. So, you know, I think now more than ever, listening to your employees, having them feel like they've been heard and demonstrating that they have a future with the business in a business that's attached to their interests and their aspirations um, through the mission and the vision of the business. And then ultimately having a culture that they feel attached to. I think it's so smart that you were listening and asking employees what they want and just really staying in touch with them throughout the pandemic. 
what do you report back to them about like what data you're collecting? Is there anything that you're doing about like, okay, here's what you said and put it in the summary form or uh, showcase what action items you're going to take? I mean, that's valuable data, but I, I think closing the loop is really important too. So my organization, HQO, uh, has a set of values that we really do live by. It is a differentiator for us, full stop. The analogy is uh, let's go. It stands for learning, excellence, truth, speed, goodness, and ownership. And the one I think you're talking about now is truth, um, or perhaps ownership of the of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. We are tremendously transparent. We share everything with our employees. Why? Because we trust them. And we feel like in doing so, we gain their trust. What I heard during the pandemic and during our last employee sentiment survey, which we completed, by the way, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, late January this year, <laughs> was that people felt informed. They felt like we were going to guide appropriately because we were being very transparent about everything that we knew, everything about our business, everything about our results, everything about what was going on in the industry and with the business. And that really made a difference. And so we gained the trust of our employees that they knew we cared. They knew that we would share everything we knew about the situation as it evolved. And that with a degree of ownership, we would be willing to accept a difference of perspective. And so their sentiment, their input to decision-making around this really mattered. Can you share any themes of what your people wanted, what they said in some of the surveys, if there's any general themes? There were two things. One is um, we over-indexed on the side of collaboration. We have an extremely supportive and collaborative group of people. It's simply awesome. That was a, a resounding theme. With respect to our plans to return to office, since that's, you know, kind of where we were at that point in in January, our employees felt like we were being a little bit too aggressive on our return plans. And as I said earlier, right, Brendan, we, we listened to them and we adjusted and we pivoted. But what we thought about was, what do employees really care about? And what do they need to know about? They need to know that we care about them first. And so we shared, here's everything we're doing to plan for return to office. Oh, investing in dividers and mask mandates. And, and we actually built an internal homegrown capacity planning tool as part of our technology and our solution. So employees had to request space and know that they'd be able to maintain distancing and, 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 and the many things that we did and many other companies are doing. But around that, what we said was, you know, we, we heard you <laughs> and we connected it to the why. We needed to provide them not just the what, what are we doing about this, but the why. And when we shared the why, and for our company, it is this. We are in the commercial real estate market. Our solution is used by, it's a tenant uh, experience application that's used by the folks that manage and operate commercial real estate. All of our customers were back early. It was in their best interest and in their mission to have people back in the buildings. So when we shared that perspective, I think employees said, okay, the what is what they're doing to look after my safety and well-being. The why, I can understand. It really is connected to our business and our customer's business. And then the last part of it was around part of that purpose and vision as a business. One of the things that we believe in is when people do come into cities and they do populate these commercial buildings, they support the adjunct industry around the communities. We know that commercial real estate is one of the largest, if not the largest taxpayer in any city. When people weren't coming in and there were open spaces, Mm. that's revenue generated by the cities. When we saw the mom and pop shops around the buildings or, you know, restaurants closed or all these things, we sort of also felt like we had a bit of a responsibility. Part of our 
solution and market is to drive amenities in and through commercial buildings. And so we felt like we played a role in that. And by coming back into the city, supporting the restaurants or the dry cleaners or whatever it is around our buildings, we felt like we were playing a small part, but doing our part. If you're facing this possible mass exodus and just you you were worried as you know as a chief people officer you're worried about retaining people what would your priorities be if you were facing something like that because i imagine people are listening like oh gosh if this i'm not even prepared like i need to i need to instill some retention strategies like what maybe the top three things that you'd focus on if assuming you had a budget for it and if it costs money yeah, what a great question. Let's first start with what's going to happen when, you know, over the next few months, let's call it. Companies are doing a couple of different things, right, Brandon? Some companies have determined it's best for their business strategy to stay fully remote. Some have said they'd take a hybrid solution. And some like mine have determined that we are an in-office first organization. I think the first thing is going to be to calibrate your company's plans with your employees' expectations. Mm -hmm. I know it's been a bit of a theme in our conversation today, but I found out recently, and this is within the last few weeks, that upwards of 40% of employees do not know their company's intention. Many companies have said, effectively, we're going to kick this decision down the line. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to stay hybrid. Well, what does hybrid mean? In, in my mind, again, if you, if you think about the theme throughout our conversation today, it's been about collaboration. It's been about innovation. It's been about, you know, sort of working together. And I wonder how you're going to do that in a hybrid environment. In a hybrid environment, do you still need 100% of your footprint from a building perspective? Uh, in a hybrid environment, are you going to determine who comes in on what days? Let's call it cohorts. Well, I just read yesterday in an article that Apple, uh, Tim Cook, just declared that there are certain days employees have to be in offices. And apparently it went very poorly. And they are about mm. to face an attrition problem. And so, number one, listen to your employees. It doesn't mean we will do exactly what the employees say. For example, hybrid may not be the right solution for your business or from an investment perspective. But just start a dialogue, be open with your employees. And as I said, build that transparency, build that trust, number one. Number two, I think employees have to feel you know, supported and good about the work they do. A great time to calibrate on you know, one-on-ones, on planning forward for you know, career pathing or whatever it might be. And then the third is culture. You know, it's, it, it is a very strong indicator of whether people will stay or not. I think part of this, as we've talked about, is people are feeling like they lack that culture. They lack being around their coworkers and colleagues. And um, being at home means I could do work for anyone from anywhere. And I don't know that that provides a great environment for a company to retain employees. And so find a way. Let me use an example. My organization has determined that, yes, we, like everyone else, could benefit from an expanded talent pool by going to other geos. We are, happen to be headquartered in Boston, but there are other companies that would argue, perhaps people you're talking to, Brandon, that would say, <laughs> by allowing people to work hybrid or from remote, we could hire people anywhere. Exactly. The challenge with that is the following. Number one, for a smaller organization, perhaps, it's very hard to establish an entity whether it be taxation, administration for wherever an employee wants to work. I've seen companies struggle with, wait, are we going to adjust compensation structures? Right. Yeah. I think you're in Portland, Oregon. Should we pay rates for Portland if somebody's going to be working in, I'm going to make it up, uh, Nebraska? 
I don't know what the what the cost comparisons are, but perhaps they're different. These are real decisions that companies are going to have to face and, and, and address at a certain point. There are some companies out there that I've heard are going to continue to pay Silicon Valley rates for work from anywhere. And I start to wonder, is that a smart business decision? I don't I don't know if it is. I, I, I don't either. So, you, you know, there's a real complexity to this. So so what we're doing and what I've always recommended is, okay, if you want to expand your geos to have talent in other markets because people have dispersed from large cities, sure. But maybe it's more like a hub and spoke model. Maybe, you know, I've seen organizations that have said you have to be a day's car ride away from a cluster of other employees. Hmm. So, you know, maybe you don't need to be in Boston where I'm located today. Maybe you could be in somewhere in New Hampshire and, and it's a two hour drive or Connecticut or something like that. Um, so we could come together. Why do we come together? So we can collaborate. We'd come together. So what my company is doing is we're expanding across a lot of markets. We are building an office in New York, Chicago, LA, Dallas, Atlanta. We're Toronto, we're, we're tripling in size in London and Paris. And the reason for that is to obviously be close to our customers, but also because we believe we can expand the talent pool. That's a different strategy from saying, I'll hire anybody from wherever they may sit today. Right. And so by having people in other markets, we do have exposure to different markets and people in different geos, but we also have an opportunity to bring people together. We have an opportunity for people to do meetups and coffee meetings and all those things that we started our conversation with that are important to people. Working with others that I care about, having meaningful work, having a manager or coworkers that matter to me, and a company that supports me and one that I feel excited about, both from a vision and a cultural alignment perspective. You're in a unique situation where you're in total growth mode. You're expanding to different markets and you got a lot of positions opening. I mean, you got funding. So this is... Uh, you're in a great spot, probably a challenging spot to to find the talent. But I think listeners are going to get some insight from you on, you know, how you're going about that strategy to find new talent because they might find themselves in that same situation if they're trying to backfill people leaving. So, what kind of strategies are you putting into place? Whether it's interviewing strategies, employer branding, anything to get attention and to draw people into the overall mission and purpose of the organization. I'd love to hear any insight you might have on that whole process. Well, it's really situational and it has to, it has to be um, with a degree of integrity because here's why. If you espouse something that's not accurate or true, right. um, you're, you will have a turnover <laughs> issue full stop. The number one indicator, the number one reason for turnover is that we've always seen across all industries is the job is not what I expected. So the first thing is, you know, particularly in an aggressive recruiting market is you have to be your brand, your image, the way you're describing a role when you're recruiting and hiring has to be reflective of reality because people are smart. They're going to figure out really quickly. And as you and I have already talked about, the cost of an open position is is high. The cost of backfilling is even higher. And so number one is be honest with integrity about the situation, who you are. And because that's important, it'll help you determine who the right candidates are, who the right fit is for your organization. So it's, you know, it's one thing to fill a rack. It's another thing to make sure you're hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm always curious about when I talk to candidates is, and I ask this of every candidate is, tell me the difference between the right role and the right opportunity from an opportunity. And what I'm really looking for is the person to describe what that desired state looks like, not yeah. just what you know, on paper, what what the right 
role is, but really an environment, uh, a culture, a role that really gives them, you know, satisfaction and engagement, because that's what we're looking for. That's a great interview question. We restate that one more time for me. Yeah. So I love to ask candidates, describe for me the difference between the right role and a role. Yeah, that's good. And a role again could be, you know, I'm a salesperson, salesperson and and a role is a salesperson for a software company or whatever it might be. Yeah. The right role is one where I can really bring my whole self to the organization where I can help, you know, contribute to strategy where all those other things that that really define or differentiate yes. the right role from a role. That's amazing. Uh, how do you think interviewing is going to change? Whether it's the questions you're asking, like that that one, or is there anything about the process that's that's changing from your point of view? Well, it's really interesting. You know, we've all we've all reverted to um, online interviewing, haven't we? I actually the other day, Brandon, I was I was setting up time with a candidate who asked. I see that you're back in office. Would it be possible to meet in person? I'm dying to meet someone in person. <laughs> which I thought, which I thought I got a kick out of. I thought it was great. Today we're we're virtual. We're giving candidates an option if they'd care to come in in person. We'd love to meet them in person. So there's that. the The other thing is, you know, my organization, as I've said, um, culture is so important to us. We've recently just retooled our entire selection process around our values. So as I said, our values stand for Let's Go. We have each interviewer on our team focus on each one of those values. And we've built a framework for delineating what exceptional response looks like versus maybe not. And so to us, what's really important is that we get the right people on our bus. And so we've built a process that ensures that we're doing that. We're going very deep uh, on that process. That's something that matters to my organization. It might be different from that of others. But the, you know, the other thing that I think is, is happening is that organizations have to move very quickly. We've always known this. For organizations that are going to stammer or take their time or maybe have an outdated process where a candidate has to meet with a certain amount of people or perhaps they have to meet a certain amount of candidates to feel comfortable with the decision, full stop, they will lose. Um, candidates have options and uh, I think, you know, most candidates are interested in an organization that's going to move quickly and be able to make decisions and know when it's right. And so I encourage be very deliberate, be very intentional, be structured in your selection process, but have one that's agile and moves quick because candidates will. Well said. Jay, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, any you know, parting thoughts uh, or anywhere you want to point people to to connect with you? Well, Brandon, this has been a blast. <laughs> I uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I wish I had all the answers. I don't. We're all learning. But uh, clearly, conversations like yours matter. And I think that we're all going to watch the trends and themes as they evolve and emerge. Again, my parting advice is control what you can control. And what can you control? It's how you treat your employees. It's listening to your employees, understanding what matters to them, and being very honest and truthful in what you're doing and how you're doing it. Make sure that the people that join your organization are aligned to your mission, purpose, and values, and be really deliberate and intentional in your selection process because things are going to move very quickly. And if you do all those things, you're going to keep the right people. We're all going to lose people. It's a part of business. Um, but have stay interviews. Understand what's driving your employees and make sure that you're being responsive to their needs. With respect to getting in touch, Brandon, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me there. And uh, if you're at all interested in our business, it's www.hqo.com. Jay Schaffeld, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon.